On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Fish's debut solo album, Vigil in a Wilderness of Mirrors. Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands, album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends, Paul Zotter and Tom Corcoran, as we switch lanes and move into the Fish solo catalog with Vigil in a Wilderness of Mirrors. So this is the the first episode where we we have um, sort of the manifestation of Ken's master plan of covering Peter Gabriel and Fish, sort of their solo careers on parallel tracks. So we've done the first, what, five Peter Gabriel albums, and now we have two Fish albums, and then we'll go back and forth. It'll be be fun. It'll be interesting. Um, It should be interesting to note that Ken had to sell you hard on this idea, as I recall. He worked on me for uh, what a good six weeks on this, and, and and I, it took me a while to kind of come around on it, um, but you know, hey, and and here it is, the night it actually comes to fruition, and no Kenny G, no Kenny G. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you know, I think it's funny because because I, I I almost wonder if if Ken didn't hatch this idea. <laughs> Um, because I, I think he couldn't face the, I, the, the thought of doing, you know, like 14 fish episodes in a row. <laughs> yeah. Or he just wanted a few nights off. So he figured if he could hatch this idea, he could, he could skip out. Yeah. One or the other, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, it, and it, it is interesting, um, you know, given all of this and, and, you know, it, it's, this is so fascinating. And as we finished up. Um, actually, we finished up recording our Fishmar revisits, you know, a while back. But I've been I've been editing them recently, and while I've been editing them, I've sort of I've stumbled upon the um, Between You and Me podcast, and I've been it's it, the way it worked out, and it's kind of cool. Is I would finish editing an episode, our episode, and then I would listen to the Between You and um, Between You and Me episode on that album. So I always heard thing. I always heard their perspectives after the fact, which is good, because um, I didn't really want to be have you know. I, I would have. I'm always uncomfortable with having you know potentially our podcast and our views colored by and or ripping off other people. So it's it's. I find it fun to sort of even edit an episode and then contrast that with someone else's opinion on, on the record. Very fascinating. So today. I finished up their episode on Clutching at Straws, and they have, after that, an episode that is just on the departure of Fish, specifically. And so that's I'm in the middle of that right now, and it's just, it's very timely, and it's interesting, and so I'm, you know, I'm very, very keen to to talk about this record. This, this album, you know, this was, we've told the story, Paul, you know, when we got into Marillion, Fish had already left, we didn't even know. Um, we discovered season's end and we're like, you know, what's going on here? And so as soon as you, you know, as soon as that, you know, box is open, you've got to go figure it out. And 
I, I don't recall the exact circumstances, but I do know that this CD, and I, I still have the, the one I bought, you know, back in college, but I had to search high and low for that. It was an import. I paid a premium for it. And um, it's, it's an interesting record. I've always enjoyed the record. I think, and we'll, we'll obviously talk about this as we go through it. It, it has certain characteristics which are, you know, somewhat unique. I think in certain regards, it's, you know, dare I say, a little bit dated. I think the production in Palaver Lingo is about as wet as they come. I would not put this as Fish's pinnacle. And it's clearly not Marillion in any way, shape, or form. But it's it's always occupied a very, very fond place in my heart. And and even as I've listened to it, you know, multiple times over the last couple of weeks, I I still even even as I sort of nitpick and find things that sort of annoy me, I, I still listen to the whole album. I enjoy it. I love it. I I recognize and accept all of its sort of warts and faults. There's just something dare I say, charming about it. Yeah, I, I've had um, some problems with it over the years, but I, I, I've, I've come around to it a little bit. It's it's not my favorite album, but it's certainly not his worst either. I've recently appreciated on this album the musicianship, and I guess we'll talk about that throughout, the, um, throughout, throughout all the tracks, but... He got some really great players on this. He, and yeah, he certainly did. Yeah, and even if the song has some issues, I found that I'm really engaged in what's going on. John Giblin, the bass player, I mean, he's just doing stuff on here that I, I get goosebumps on. And, um, tasty. And just little things like that that normally I don't geek out on. Normally I'm like, okay, the song has to stand by itself. I might appreciate certain things, but like there really is there, there really are moments on here where, where these guys kind of go for it. And I, I had this moment today and this is, this is so ridiculous that I'm even going to tell the story, but, but like um, <laughs> um, I sort of acted out a fantasy. Like I, I put in vigil and I put it in as if I was listening to like the fifth studio recording with fish and it with Marillion because I, I, I wanted to see if this held up in regards to the first four studio albums. And I was like, do I like it just because I'm, I'm sort of emotionally attached to fish at times or like how, 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 how do I really feel about this compared to their first four albums? So something I do when I do, when I compose for other people or I sound design for other people, when I know they're going to come over and, and listen to it, I, I listen to it ahead of time with almost their set of ears. Like, how is this person going to hear it? And I can actually get in, almost get their notes ahead of time, like what they're going to say and do. So, like, I, w- I got in the car today and I listened to it as if I was putting in the latest, you know, obviously the year would have been 1989 or 1990, but the latest Marillion album with fish in it just to see you know, how I would enjoy it. And Vigil held up because <laughs> it, it's, you know, it definitely, if that's like the most sort of Marillion song, I think on the, on, on the album, mm-hmm. I mean, the rest there, although there are good songs on there, you keep, 
they're really far from the the four remaining players in Marillion. Mm. So I, I sort of couldn't. I sort of like fell off the wagon after the first song. But um, <laughs> the the, uh, the, was the musicianship is there. What's that? I said the illusion was shattered. The illusion. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Uh, now the, I, the mirror was shattered. You said Vigil is the is the most Marillion esque song on on Vigil. I, I I think so. I mean, I think that Vigil is the first Marillion esque is the most Marillion esque song on on the album. Wow! In and the same way that, that like that that the chorus is like could be a Phil Collins tune. Wow! Pop pop song like what Kaylee is. Well, it's interesting. I actually uh, I have a note on that. Well, and we'll get we'll get to that. But uh, <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, exactly. Okay, so, all right, good. You're consistent. Good, good, good. Uh, listen, uh, well, first of all, I, I, unlike Kaylee, I actually love the song. So, um, but I, I'm, I'm sort of getting ahead of the wagon here. Maybe, uh, but I guess rather than you know, specifically talking about the song, all I'm going to say is that this album in general has. Um, Definitely has wonderful moments in the music and in the, the subtleties. To me, it doesn't sound like a lot of studio players just coming together and doing what they're told. There's there's a real depth to it. And I do agree with you, Joe. It is a wet-sounding album. It is a very overproduced album. It's a sign of the times, okay? This came out right at the end of the 80s. So, I mean, technically, it's it's sort of you know, right when you should have been hearing all this sort of like big wet sounds, but um, you know, it, it, you, you do, you do notice it as, as such, but uh, I, I will say um, as far as this album, it seems like um, there was, there's just some, I think fish almost let people do more on this album than follow-up albums, because maybe he was, um, he, he was concerned about, you know, having this big umbrella over the whole thing and having a, a heavy hand over the whole thing after exactly what happened with, with Marillion, because I think there are some, some really great moments in here. So mm. again, this is my favorite album, but there it is. There, there are some really nice uh, pieces to it. So what I hear both of you guys doing is we all like fish. That's why we're here talking about it today. But what, what I'm hearing is both of you just dancing around the fact that this isn't a very good album. Whoa, okay, it's it's just whoa, not. Whoa, 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 <laughs> and that's that'll just be that'll just that'll just be my 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 background. I I think that's a very like, inflammatory statement, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, like you said, like we we didn't know what was going on. We we kind of came into this after the fact, and for me, both seasons end, and, and I've actually thought about this a lot in the last week or so. Seasoned end and vigil. I, I just sort of missed. I think my brain and my my I was so musically overwhelmed by just loving so much misplaced childhood, clutching at straws, Fugazi, that by the time I realized, okay, their seasons end and Fish has a solo album, that it just kind of I just couldn't really focus in on that. I was just too overwhelmed with with everything else. And I want to say they were pretty close together. When Holidays in Eden came out, I really got into that. And then I went backwards to Season's End. Mm -hmm. And when uh, Internal Exile came out, I really got into that. And then I went backwards into Vigil. And when I went backwards to Season's End, 
I absolutely fell in love with it. And when I went backwards into Vigil, I was kind of like, eh. And I really thought this this go around, I was going to like the clouds were going to open and I was going to get I was going to be like this. Nope. And, and you know, I I sure. I understand exactly what you're saying with regards to the relationship of the follow on records to each of these. Um, you know, if you come in at at internal exile and holidays needing and go backwards, I, I I understand your experience. And Tom, it's funny. I, I've I've made the com- I made the comment back in 1992. As a matter of fact, I remember I remember describing this to one of my advisors at Delaware. Um, the the experience that you the 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 fantasy that you tried to enact with listening to Vigil as if it were a Marillion album, I think if you had done that with Internal Exile, you could have maintained that illusion. And the reason being that, and, and this is, and we'll talk about this next week, obviously, but, but my theory is and has been that Chris Kimsey produced a Fish album to sound like a Marillion album. Mm. It, it, the songwriting is not Marillion at all, but Kimsey made it sound like it. Interesting. The other point that I will make, though, is that being said, I think Vigil in a Wilderness of Mirrors as an album is perhaps a little bit immature. I think Fish hadn't figured out how to fill in all the spaces yet. And I'm not going to say it's it's a terrible album or not a great album, but I will say it's it's not an internal exile or a sunsets on empire. Agreed. Agreed. Is anyone here this evening going to play the part of Ken and provide us any context for 19? I will, I will do it, but it will be quite poor. <laughs> well, Ken, Ken leaves a you know a high high standards to follow up with. Ken, Ken would normally give us everything that happened between clutching at straws and the release of Vigil in a Wilderness of Mirrors. However, I have simply pulled up the progressive rock timeline of 1990 and will tell you that Vigil in a Wilderness of Mirrors is the first entry of 1990 coming in January 29th. And apparently 1990 was not a very big prolific year for progressive rock. However, as we talk about the wet production, I'll just share some of the other items that were released in 1990 and just think about the production of these albums in comparison to this Fish album. So we've got Jeff Lynne's Armchair Theater, Mike Oldfield's Amarac. In August, one of the wonderful musical memories of my lifetime, Queensryche's Empire. And then in that October, another sort of life-changing moment for me was King's X, Faith, Hope, Love. Uh, Later that year, Electric Lake Orchestra Part 2, Toy Matinee, with Moy Toy Matinee and You Totem, You Totem. And uh, interestingly, Big Big Train was formed in 1990, along with Opeth and Tool. Hmm. Uh, although no releases um, at that time. In the, in the year before Yes's Union was released, this is, this is what we had to consider in the progressive rock world. So sorry for the abridged version. The only thing that I can offer outside of that is the startling revelation that in fact 
Rats Out of the Cellar was actually a triple album, platinum album. <laughs> and, and, and I guess, you know, the, the one bit of, of obvious context that we will get into, but we'll, we'll call out here, is the fact that Marillion's Season's End was released, what, three or four months before this? That would probably have been something Ken would point out, yes, exactly. So if we talk about the particulars, and, and again, it's actually going to come up here, um, I believe. Vigil in a Wilderness of Mirrors was released on January 29th of 1990. It was released on the label EMI and produced by John Kelly. We'll talk a little bit about him maybe in a, a few moments. Personnel. Tom, you alluded to this already. This is a just quite an interesting group of people. You, you have Fish on vocals, Frank Usher, Hal Lindis, Yannick Gers on guitars, John Giblin on bass, um, Mickey Simmons on keyboards, piano, and drum programming. Um, Davy Spillane on pipes and whistles. Phil Cunningham on whistles and accordion. Um, Ali Bain on violin. Gavin Wright on violin. Allison Jones on violin. Mark Brzezeski on drums. John Keeble on drums. Um, Louis Jardim on percussion. And Carol Kenyon and Tessa Niles on backing vocals. The track listing of the original release is Vigil, Big Wedge, State of Mind, The Company, A Gentleman's Excuse Me, The Voyeur, I Like to Watch, Family Business, View from the Hill, and Cliché. Interesting to point out that uh, according to the wikis, The Voyeur was not released on the original LP, which I find to be interesting. Vigil in a Wilderness of Mirrors is the debut solo album by Scottish neo-progressive rock singer Fish, released in 1990. Fish had departed Marillion in 1988. Although the recordings for this album finished as early as June 1989, EMI Records decided to delay the release until early 1990 to avoid collision with Marillion's album Season's End, released in September. However, the track State of Mind, featuring guest musician John Keeble from Spandau Ballet on drums, was released as a single as early as 16 October 1989, more than three months ahead of the album. Further singles from the album were Big Wedge, the actual lead single, December 27, 1989, A Gentleman's Excuse Me, 5 March 1990, and The Company, 18 July 1990, only released in Germany. Obviously... We've got a huge cast of characters here, and, you know, Fish didn't have, at this point, you know, a band. It turns out he, you know, he found some some strong collaborators, um, but it does sort of have the feeling of, you know, a, a, a singer who goes, who leaves a band and, and, you know, finds musicians to work with in various ways. So I just, I, I kind of pulled up a lot of the bios, and I, I just want to quickly... You know, maybe run through some of these people and, and talk about some of the highlights um, because it, it really is a, a, just an interesting sort of, of cast of characters. So this John Kelly person doesn't have a huge um, resume. Some interesting things that, that pop out are he worked with Kate Bush, Prefab Sprout, which I want to say I knew something by Prefab Sprout, but I can't remember what it, on earth it is. Fish, obviously, The Damned, and... Most notably for me is he mixed several tracks on Tori Amos's Little Earthquakes. So that's interesting. So Frank Usher apparently is, you know, Frank Usher has been with Fish ever since um, in terms of, of being his guitarist. So 
virtually his entire resume is is the fish catalog. Um, Hal Lindis, he is interesting in that here's a gentleman who spent five formative years with Dire Straits after, I guess, Mark Knopfler's brother left, David Knopfler. And then we have um, Yannick Gers of Iron Maiden, Tom. So here we get our Iron Maiden crossover. Very, very cool. And and Yannick also worked, I guess, with Bruce Dickinson in and out of Iron Maiden as well. Yeah, so he apparently co-wrote View from the Hill, which is, you know, it's interesting when you listen to that with that sort of um, thing in mind. He also worked with Ian Gillen a bunch, which I find just to be fascinating for the Jesus Christ Superstar thing that we talked about before. Now, let's talk John Giblin. This guy has a freaking resume like none other. And it's, it's worth reading just the first paragraph of his wiki page. John Giblin is a British double bassist and bass guitarist noticed for his versatility spanning jazz, classical, rock, folk, and avant-garde music. Dude can do it all. You know, they, they found <laughs> a freaking ringer on the bass and, and brought it in, and I think it's, it's absolutely wonderful. His resume includes Brand X. He, I guess, performed live with Eric Clapton, Sting, Mark Knopfler, and Phil Collins. He was on uh, Peter Gabriel, um, Melt and Birdie, Krista Berg, Kate Bush, Phil Collins, Joan Armitrading, John Lennon, Annie Lennox, Paul McCartney, the Everly Brothers, George Martin, Simple Minds, John Anderson, Manfred Mann, Fish, Alan Parsons. I mean, the guy's like freaking everywhere. Yeah, the guy's a superhero. He really, really is. Yeah, and I was I was gonna say earlier, like I, I don't know if there is a, a a thread between anything that Peter Gabriel did up till this point and this album, but if there is, it's exceptional bass playing. I'll just throw that in there. So yeah, and and it's it's interesting that he does, you know, I I, I don't when we talked about Melt, I didn't realize that you know, Giblin was on that and on this. I didn't realize he played on this because I wasn't looking at it at the time. The time. Um, so Mickey Simmons, uh, wow, uh, session keyboardist, arranger, and composer. Mike Oldfield, Renaissance, Camel, Fish, Joan Armitrading, Paul Young, The Ruddles, Art Garfunkel, Kiki D. Um, you know, it's just like, okay, this guy's got... Uh, Got some chops as well. Davy Spillane. Now, this is interesting. When I see someone credited with, and I got to go all the way back now and, and see it. When I see someone credited with pipes and whistles, I'm like, what the hell does that mean? Well, what that means is, um, and I hope I'm saying this right, the Yulian pipes, which is the Irish version of bagpipes, apparently. Which is interesting because you think of, of fish being very Scottish. And I was going to say at one point that the bagpipey kind of keyboards were cool, but apparently it's actual pipes. So that's pretty badass. And if that wasn't enough, he actually has this Phil Cunningham guy who also plays what? He's credited with whistles and, and accordion. And then we've got our drummer here. He played with, with big country. So I kind of wish we had Colby here because he's a big, mm. big country guy. 
Um, the Colt, Ultravox, uh, Procol Harum, Roger Daltrey, The Pretenders, Midjor, Pete Townsend. Um, you know, so he's he's kind of all over the place. And then I Tessa Niles. Tessa Niles is freaking everywhere, right? Mm. She showed up on on Clutching at Straws, and I had to pull up her her wiki page. Literally, there are three pages worth of appearances um, from 1981 to 2004. Three freaking pages. ABC, Morrissey, The Police, Grace Jones, Gary Newman, Eric Clapton, Berlin, The The, Duran Duran, uh, then Jericho, Marillion, Julian Cope, Men Without Hats, Silent Running, Jane Weedland, Pet Shop Boys, The Escape Club, Anderson Bruford, Wakeman Howe, The Rolling Stones, wow. Tears for Fears, Oletta Adams, uh, Fish Again, more Eric Clapton, Howard Jones. I mean, it's just like, are you kidding me? What? Hmm. What a what? Just a fantastic freaking resume that is right yep she gets she gets zero sense zero for any 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 one of those songs being str- streamed <laughs> or purchased poor, today poor tessa on niles CD. zero she, actually, she probably makes more money because she's a hired gun she makes money she, up front she probably she probably was raking it in back then when they when everybody else was depending on selling their keychains and and coffee mugs she was living right. high off the hog but she was working her ass off so so Fish was able, and 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 I didn't, you know, it, I, I I don't have a whole ton of lore on this record. A lot of it is just, you know, the the feelings I've carried around with it for low these, you know, thirty years or whatever the case may be. Um, but but and so I don't know if Fish assembled the cast of characters or if if EMI assembled the cast of characters. I don't know how this particular cast of characters came together, but it. It certainly is is a good one, and and Tom, I think you made the point that, you know, even if they're not playing the the most earth shattering you know songs ever written, they're they're generally playing them very very well. Yeah, I mean, you can tell that this is a class act. I mean, this is there's a real budget on this album. It definitely has weight to it, as far as the <clears throat> musicians go. I think it's a a very noble first album in several aspects again you know i don't think it's going to be any of our favorite fish album but it's not going to be a you know top of the list of any of us but i think there are things on here i I know that fish has said he's very he's he's very proud of this album and he sort of compares it with his last couple which is kind of weird i think it's more maybe in his head, being that this was the first one outside Marillion, he kind of wanted to show the world that he could do it. And so he, <clears throat> in some way, you know, I, I think he did that. It definitely shows that there are some gaps in his songwriting still. I mean, and then, yeah, I, I, okay, so we're parallel. We're doing a parallel thing with Peter Gabriel, right? I, I so was, I mean, I was just going to bring that in, Tom. Yes. So, I mean, you know, as great as Peter Gabriel is, you know, his his first album leaves something to be desired for the most part. And it's just part of the, the process, right? I mean, any of us, when we're, you know, doing something for the first time, it may not be, you know, what things will eventually be. 
will eventually become. Um, certainly, Peter Gabriel, you know, every album it seemed like in 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 his solo career, maybe a couple ex- exceptions. I mean, every album sort of got better and better. And, but yeah, I mean, the first album was really just not there as far as and, 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 uh, and solo. I, album. Yeah, and I think we made the the comment on on cars in a very similar vein that it's almost like when these, when these singers leave the band, right. And and there, there was a perception on both in both bands at the time that the singer was the band, but the singer leaves the band and suddenly they, they have to figure out who or what they are independent of, you know, the band that they just left. So I, I think, you know, in, in terms of, of Ken's parallel, I think that's that's an excellent starting point. Much like, you know, Roger Dean was had shared custody throughout the history of Yes, you know, Fish took Mark Wilkinson with him. Um, he got him in the divorce, clearly. And, um, you know, I, I do want to just say that I think, I think this, uh, the cover of this, it's very visually striking. It's not the most subtle of messages that Mark has ever um, put across. And it's completely, it has nothing to do with anything. But I do have to just, I have to gush about how utterly spectacular the Fish logo was and is to this day. Um, Just to, you know, I'm assuming that Mark Wilkinson came up with that and it is absolutely brilliant. It is, it is. And I I think that's... um Certainly, the cover of this album—it's um, as much as I like it. It also is also is it, the the cover is as dated as the mm-hmm. production. Yeah, and um, yeah, you actually can see it when when you look at it. You go, okay, this was probably put out, and you could if you didn't know anything about the band, you know, if you know anything about Fish, you could almost tell when it when when it came out. Um, which you know, it's a sign of the times. There's certainly nothing wrong with that, but um, it's it's consistent with 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 the music. <laughs> and and yeah. you know, it's it's related to the the Marillion album covers without being the Marillion album covers as well. Right. So it you know it's, right. it, it it's an interesting sort of connection there as well. Yeah. So with the with the connection of you know Peter Gabriel. I don't know if we're supposed to be drawing parallels to this being Fish's first and Peter versus Peter Gabriel's first or the timeline. But but I have a question for you guys because I you know when we talked about Peter Gabriel's first solo album, was there a a line of sight where you listen to the first Peter Gabriel solo album and you're like, "Yeah, I get it. Like he's he's experimenting and he's doing his thing, but this this makes sense coming off of off of the lamb lies down on Broadway. Does do we get that sense? First of all, am I correct about that, or did, did we not believe that about the first Peter Gabriel album? As as I recall, and granted, my memory is extraordinarily faulty, but as I recall, there are a couple of tracks that seem to flow, sort of like Lamb Lies Down on Broadway Part Two, um, while there are obviously other tracks where he is trying out new and interesting and different things. So I, I yeah, yeah I, I, I would agree with that. And I, I would not make the same connection here. Okay. 
that's what I wanted to ask. Do, do we see that same thread? And and you're saying no, Tom. Do you do you see a similar thread? Well, this is very interesting because we talked about how in the um, really we talked about this with 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 Grendel, and that Merillion always looked up to Genesis, and they were sort of they had the experience. They they sort of had the years on Genesis, meaning that. Genesis sort of broke the mold and then Merillion was able to just sit back and, and sort of take what they did, ha- almost have a head start. It's interesting because now we're talking about the solo albums and although Peter Gabriel was you know, certainly far more successful uh, than, than Fish was or is, Fish's first album was definitely more evolved than Carr. And I think that there's like almost a wisdom there that when you're a younger band and you can look at another band who's gone up the, the line and seen where they've gone and maybe some of the mistakes they've made and been like, okay, well, we can do this, but let's refine this. And so yeah, it's interesting. I was just listening to an, an, an interview with Fish where he was saying that he would listen to old Genesis A-tracks in his dad's Volvo. <laughs> selling inland by the pound to be exact and he would you know as a kid he would he would listen to this over and over and over and over again you know and then he also they were saying oh gosh you know i'm surprised genesis didn't sue us when you know they you know if if, if anyone in their camp you know heard grendel <laughs> like even they knew that grendel was even the guys in Merillion knew that grendel was sort of pretty close to where where genesis was going what vigil does have I think it's it's definitely more consistent than Peter Gabriel's car. That's a really, I think that's a really good point. And I wonder if there's influence thinking about, you know, what was happening, you know, with Phil Collins going solo and Peter Gabriel going solo, if there was that purposeful, you know, seeing the success that they had and the way that the, the success that Peter Gabriel would have with So, if there was that purposeful, like, let's, like over index on the on the commercial attitude because i mean i just can't imagine i I would have never known what to do with it in my in my current state of marillion knowledge if i had if i had really heard this when it came out but could you imagine being a diehard marillion fan following fish all this way all the way through clutching at straws and then you're they're like okay we're gonna premiere the first single from the upcoming fish solo album and it's big wedge like <laughs> what what i mean <laughs> we'll get to big wedge in well, just Paul, a second i'll tell you i experienced it today in the car when i was role playing <laughs> I, I had my fantasy i went through it <laughs> and it, it, it was horrible it shattered the illusion <laughs> i almost got into an accident <laughs> So you guys want to get into the tracks then and kind of dig in here and see what, what there is? Because I, you know, I, I... Let's do it. Yeah. So, Vigil, Tom, you sort of started out saying this is the most Marillion-esque in your mind. I, I made the, the point before, and I'll make it again, because I don't know that it's ever actually made it um, onto a, a published part of the episode. And, and obviously, the, the connections um, between... This 
clutching at straws and season's end are myriad and 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 important especially with the with the demos that were released when you hear things like um what is it family business on top of what became berlin i think is is the combination um and things like that right but i the interesting thing about that so you have you have marillion and fish the singer lee's marillion now the next marillion album comes out with a new singer and they have like a two-minute instrumental introduction before you, so you can kind of start feeling like, okay, this is Marillion before you ever even hear the new guy. Conversely, on Fish's first solo record, it's like two minutes and forty-two seconds before their song breaks out. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> and it's like you know, I I can't help but imagine that that was deliberate on both parts it's like mm-hmm. you know you followed fish so here's the fish get yourself comfortable listen to him it's still fish you know and and we're gonna we're gonna get in here so i i just i find that to be to be you know humorous <laughs> right from the get-go right out of the gate you get this this fretless bass that just okay mm. yes please yeah <laughs> Give me some more of that. Lots more of that. Absolutely love it. There's always been one line here that that always gets me, and and it's it's funny. I, I made the I, I asked the question. You know, it, I didn't know if I was going to love fish lyrics as much in the solo catalog as I did in the Marillion catalog, and and I think certainly for the most part on this record, I don't. There are a few shining examples. You know, I'm not always floored, but in this one, and it's not even really a great lyric, but there's something about the delivery and the music that that works for me. And it's it's where he says, when I was young, my father told me just the bad guys die at that time, just a little white lie. It was one of the first, but it hurt me the most. And the truth stung like tears in my eye that even the good guys must die. Now, Again, it's not the most eloquent that Fish has ever been, and it's not the most earth-shattering sentiment that he's ever sort of come across. Um, but I, I just there's something about the way he delivers that, and and there's that clean guitar that kind of comes in right in the middle of it that just oh, I find it to be super duper tasty. Well, first I want to I want to go to something that, that Paul brought up earlier, I think, in the pre-show, but. Um, I, when I hear this song, um, I, I do hear remnants of, of Marillion more so than other, other parts of the album. But what I really hear is I, I think this song could be a song off of uh, the Duke album for Genesis. I mean, this sounds like something that's off of that album. Um, and I personally, I like it more. I mean, I, I, I really like this song. I think it has sort of your prog elements that you like. Joe, you mentioned the intro. I even like that. I mean, it's an eight and a half minute song. It, I mean, bagpipes in the solo section. There's all sorts of really interesting things. You have this great big chorus. I'm a, I love my, my big choruses. You sort of get what you want out of this song. And you're like, okay, this is... This is interesting. Like this is really going in a direction that I like. 
So what's interesting is we have, we're sort of doing a parallel thing with Peter Gabriel. And we've mentioned before that uh, there are Merlian pieces like Grendel that are similar to early era Genesis. Um, and we've talked a bit about misplaced childhood, Kaylee sounding a little bit like Phil Collins at times in that. And uh, now we get to Vigil, the song. And uh, I think it, it could be something off of Genesis, Genesis's Duke album. I mean, I think it, it could be right up there with... Wait, wait which song are you talking about? Vigil. Vigil. The, oh, Vigil. Okay. Yeah. Duke? Really? I, I do. I, I think it could be... Do that to me? Something off, off the Duke album, for sure. Oof. And... Uh, Duke? I I think it could... It would even bring Duke up a couple notches. Whoa! Whoa! God! So, Whoa! Oh, jeez. Why you gotta be like that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen, I mean, you oh. could maybe swamp out misunderstanding, but that's about it. I mean... Oh... I, 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 well, listen. I generally see I, your point, I, I, but I mean the the songs in what I'm going to call the Duke Suite have an emotional impact that this doesn't even come close to, in my opinion. Yeah, you don't think Vigil has an emotional impact? No, not not I, at all. You know what? It 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 does right up until it transitions into that first chorus, and you're just like, what the fuck just happened? I was like all intense. I was like trying to figure out what the fuck he was talking about. Those guitars, like Joe said, come in. You're like, yeah. You're like, yes. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it's like, you're like, what? You're literally like, what the actual fuck just happened to my song? Like, it just turned into like, like this poppy, like candy stuff. It's just crazy. And uh, Duke, oh. Like I could, I, if you wanted to say "Invisible Touch," I'd be like, "Okay." <laughs> you, you guys are playing mean now. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, um, yeah, I mean, we haven't even talked about Big Wedge yet. So, well, yeah, no kidding. Uh, so, <laughs> Vigil, I, I think. All right. So while we're on the topic of Vigil and what we're talking about. I think Vigil has everything that I love to hear in a song. As I was saying before, you have the sort of moody intro, you know, sort of artsy creative thing going on with, you know, uh, subtle uh, fish lyrics and, and, and whatnot. And then it sort of builds, builds, builds uh, a lot of texture. And I, I like big choruses. I like mm. big choruses when there is something behind it. And I think there is something behind this, this chorus. So I, and I do, uh, there are aspects of, of Duke that I, I, I do enjoy. Yeah. And I, I think that it could, it could be on. There. So I, I, I it, yeah. it is, it is an excellent chorus. Like I, I'll, I'll pedal back. Maybe I was being a little harsh just for fun. I mean, it is a bit of an earworm, right? Like, like it sticks with you, you know, you listen to the song and, and I may sit there and go, man, I really wish that they didn't make that choice. I wish that this would have went in a different direction, but you know, 
a few, a, you know, a few hours later, I'm chopping up my potatoes for dinner, and it's like there I am in my brain singing, <laughs> you know, is there somebody? Out? So, so like you know, it is what it is. Were Were you singing along in your Chewbacca pajamas? <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not for dinner. Not for dinner. Okay, okay. I try not to eat in the Chewbacca pajamas. So I, okay. I, I flipped, I flipped my uh, my notebook to the next page, and it turns out that there is another set of lyrics in here that really do grab me, and that's sort of when it goes back into the what I'll call the verse section, and you sit there and talk revolution, but can you tell me just who's in command? When you tell me the forces we're fighting, then I'll gladly join and make plans, but for now, only our T-shirts cry freedom. Fucking love that line. Mm, and yeah. our voices are gagged by our greed. Our minds are harnessed by knowledge, by the hill and the will to succeed. There's a there's a note in the wikis about the imagery of the hill and where that comes from and, and what it means. But it's it's basically tied to, if I recall correctly, um, you know, commercialism, which is why yeah. the on the the cover the hill is made of commer you know um, commercial goods. Um, and if that's not what you believe, would you let me know I'm not standing alone, that I'm not just a voice in the crowd? And then, of course, we go back into the uh, into the chorus. So that that kind of grabs me. And one other thing, and, and this is completely irrelevant and, and has no impact at all. But when you're in the, the sort of bagpipey solo section and, and fish way back in the mix goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 I do enjoy that. I have to admit, it's it's you know it's it's it is what it is. Uh, it is cool, Joe. Lyrically, I think this is such a cool like first song for Fish's solo career, like because you know especially you know when you think about like here's this guy he left this band and he literally left when they were as successful as they could really possibly be. You think and. You know, knowing that, you know, he, he he wasn't thrilled with the big venues and all of the stuff that, that you know, he's said very consistently over his time. When you read through this, it's really cool. And you mentioned that line about that, you know, only our T-shirts cry freedom like that is so good. And it and the and the funny part is, is it sort of builds up. And if you connect it to like consumerism and commercialism and like, you know, popularism and it and he's like you know i'm not standing alone you know, tell me that i'm you know not just a voice in the crowd and then he goes into like the most commercial accessible like consumerism chorus uh, <laughs> hook of all time for fish what and it's just it it's like it's like what soundtrack dissonance to a t right it's just crazy poor tom i think we've taken the wind out of his sails <laughs> No, I, 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 it's it's interesting um, you bring that up because, I mean, the next song we're going to be talking about, Big Wedge, is even bigger and poppier. And oh, yes. It sounds like a show tune. So, I mean, that's that that to me, what you're talking about right now, Paul, is what I'm, I'm hearing Big Wedge as. Yeah. And, and you know, when, when you compare and contrast the two, I mean, while I, I agree about the chorus, I also agree that it is a big earworm. And overall, I absolutely, I really do enjoy this song. I really, really do like it. It's it's interesting. And, and listening to the, again, I'll give credit to the Between You and Me podcast, because they spent, I think, three episodes on Misplaced Childhood, one rather long episode on Clutching at Straws. And there's... 
you know, by their account, and I think by ours as well, there is, those are such personal, introspective albums from the point of view of the lyrics. You almost feel like you're, you know, rifling around in, in Fish's brain. And he kind of takes a step back from that, either because he didn't want to or he no longer needed to. So it, it's interesting, you know, not only, I think, is Fish trying to establish himself as a as a songwriter and sort of the, you know, the, the musical director, I think he's also trying to figure out what his long-term path as a lyricist is, because he's either he's exercised his demons or he's decided he's no longer going to, you know, go in that particular direction. And yeah. So why don't we, why don't we move on to big wedge? Because who? Yeah. <laughs> big wedge, you know, and, and I, I listen to it and I sing it and I bop along and there's a part of my brain going, God, this is banal as shit. I mean, it really sounds like it. It 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 was like a contender for the Pretty Woman soundtrack. That was around 1990, wasn't it? That movie. What uh, What was interesting in the wikis? I think it was. Apparently, these lyrics existed before he left the band, and Marillion said, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, we're not doing that song. That's not going to play well in America." Huh. And <laughs> you know, I. Even before, because I I literally just read that like in the last week. I've been listening to this album for thirty years. While someone who is prone to thinking different thoughts and having traveled, you know, somewhat in Europe, I am certainly aware of, and in some cases turned off by what I term the American consumer culture. So I get it. I agree with it. Um, the point I think is generally valid. But I will say, as an American, it does kind of rankle me a little bit to have some Scottish mm. dude ragging on my place. I, I think it's how you say it. And I am sort of aware of the politics behind this album because of mainly this, this podcast and recently kind of going through the lyrics um, a little bit more. It didn't really bother me as much as, say, and I know I'm going to get in the hot water for this. <laughs> Do it. But um, the the new Stephen Wilson album. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think that there is a whininess to this, and a, I mean, just being a blatant, just blatant hypocrisy. Um, sort of bothers me with the Stephen Wilson album. Uh, this song turned me off to this album for a while because I, this was sort of, cause I, you know, years ago I would put this album in and I would still have the same feeling about vigil back then that I do now. I like it, but just the sort of poppy upbeat. I've never been up, been big for like pop, poppy horn sounds and things mm -hmm. like that. It's like very eighties, like very pop eighties as opposed to mm. you know, other, you know, good, good eighties. There's a theatrical sense to this. I think this could be like on a on a soundtrack, like for for the uh, musical of like chess or something. It's it's just a little bit too poppy. However, getting to your point, Joe, uh, about the lyrics, the lyrics aren't really that preachy to me. They have a point, but he Fish does it in a creative way, in an artistic way, 
that I, I don't feel pissed off. And I, I'm, I'm able to sort of overlook that part. Now, just recently, I was able to enjoy the song just because, uh, maybe because I needed to be uplifted <laughs> with, you know, with everything going on with COVID and the craziness of the world around us, right? So a song like Big Wedge, where it's just like this major key, upbeat song, and and just in your face, uh, sort of uh, major key thing going on. I, I I was able to embrace it in a way that I wasn't able to embrace it um, maybe when I was you know in a sort of a darker stage mm -hmm. where I was looking for more darker music. Um, so that being said. It is uh, a song that you really have to be in a, a mood for. Like I, I can see myself popping this album in, in, in you know, a couple of years from now, and then having a, a similar reaction that I had tw twenty years ago, and being like, "I just can't deal with this album now," because this, this, uh, this song says a lot. I mean, th this song makes a statement, and it's 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 kind of worked for me the past couple of days. But it, it made it, it's it's definitely not my style, and this is not this is we're in um, a little bit of a, a, a risky territory here with it. Are you still talking <laughs> about the big wedge? Right, you're still talking about that song. <laughs> <laughs> I get the point. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I mean, listen. Uh, I think the lyrics are just as cheesy as the song. And if I, I if I try to take them seriously, I I simply just can't because of the context of of the music. You know when they do those like no shave November, like you grow a mustache, right? Have you you guys familiar with that? Yeah. And like you, so you grow a mustache, and it looks completely ridiculous because you just like you're not supposed to shave your mustache. And and so one year I did that, and and I was talking to my kid about something with hockey, and I and I was trying to draw some like serious parallel between like the effort that you put in hockey and the effort you put in life. And I'm like sp spilling my heart and emotion to my kid. And as I'm telling him this, he just says, he's like, listen, I can't even take you seriously with your mustache. I'm sorry. <laughs> and that's pretty much how I feel like when I'm listening to big wedge, I, I just can't even try to take any of the lyrics seriously. I'm sorry. I just, and I, it's funny because when I don't listen to this album for a long time and I say big wedge, gosh, what song is that? I, I don't, I can't remember what song that is. And then I, I play it and I'm like, Oh yeah, that's right. This one and skip that. I feel terrible. I feel terrible for saying that, but I, I don't skip it, but it's clearly not my favorite. And one of the things, you know, again, a lot of times I, I generally have not listened to a bunch, many of these albums in what I would call good headphone situations. Um, you know, probably when I was younger, I would listen to them while I was mowing the yard or something, which just doesn't really count. From a production perspective, what I found, the bass and drums are super boomy in this song on top of everything else that's going on. It's just like, you know, so even when you get up close to it, it doesn't get any better. The next track, State of Mind, is interesting because I wanted to carry the grudge from Big Wedge over here, although upon reading into it apparently this is more about the end of of the thatcher years in in the uk than it is um despite the fact that he uses the phrase will elect a president so 
it's interesting that up until recently, and it'll be I'll be curious to see if there's any change after you know relatively recent history. I, I I had this sort of inclination that I was going to grind my axe on state of mind, but I just can't. I I I've this song I I really, really do enjoy. I think musically, it's at this point, I think it's it's a real sort of standout. I love the the acoustic guitar through here. So while I, you know, I made the comment that I wasn't quite sure about, you know, the, the lyrics, here's another case where, you know, I absolutely love the the last lyrics on this song. When we, the people, have our backs to the wall, do we, the people, then assume control? When it's too late to stop our own execution, when we're faced with the final solution. And, you know, here again, coming off of White Russian, when Fish uses that that line, it, it 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 has a certain gravitas to it, right? You can't elect a dream revolution when you've a bullet in the back of your mind. So and and one of the things that I find utterly fascinating about this song, personally, is when you when you read lyrics like this, Fish is is making a very serious and seemingly very heartfelt point. Musically, I think this is really, really cool, but Fish's vocal delivery is is definitely in the realm of sonic dissonance here because it is so calm and subdued. And it's almost soothing, even though what he's talking about is anything but. I, I just, I find the more I think about this song, the more impressed I am by it. I, I really think he gets away with it on this album because of exactly what you just said, Joe. He has a mannerism uh, in, in the melody, and he's not preachy. And he, there's sort of this rock and roll cliche about being mad about politics in general that you sort of, over the years, we've, we've gotten tired of whether it was through, you know, punk music or just angry music about politics or whatever. Uh, he, uh, the melodies here um, don't lead you in that direction. So I'm, I'm able to enjoy the album. I'm sorry, enjoy the song, understand what he's saying, understand the wisdom behind what he's saying but uh, you know I'm, I'm not turned off by it why a lot of other political songs they sort of once they get to a certain point i sort of turn off because i'm just done with it so i think this is a, a nice melody as you alluded to and i uh, i'm i'm still in a good place when i when i when i hear this song I, I, Joe, all your points about this, the soundtrack dissonance and the, the way the calmness. I mean, we've talked about the dated production. It's it's here in spades, but it, it but it is really beautiful to listen to. Even even now when I listen to it and sometimes I want to sit there and think like, man, this is like falling somewhere in between. Like, I don't know, like a hollow notes song and like a foreign or hit, you know, like like adult contemporary. And then like that, but then the bass just like starts to like 
overcome me. And I'm just yeah. like, ah, oh. I mean, it's just, it is, it even as dated as it might be, it's really delicious. And, and yeah, I, this, this is like, this is where I'm like, yeah, okay. Like I can handle this. And, um, and it, it feels really, really good. And I, and I just kind of like the way it ends with like, you know, there's like that, it's, it's it's almost like the in your eyes kind of feel and there's like the yeah. dreamy reverby vocals going on and stuff it's it's pretty pretty cool yeah it's 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 pretty well done and like i said it's it's fun those songs that you think you want to you approach them and you're like i want to think this and then as you really think you know you dive in and you're like well maybe i gotta re reevaluate here that moves us on to the company now I am drawn intellectually to the concept of the company. It probably, and I'm not going to say this for a fact, and I'm going to, I'm, you know, we're, we're doing a progressive rock podcast. So Hobbit shit is certainly acceptable. And so I'm going to say that my love affair with the term the company may hmm. very well stem back to i believe it would be in the fellowship of the ring when frodo and his companions wind up in brie and they are invited to join the company which would be all of the people in the common room of of the the inn where they're staying that night and you know and and i think this this particular set of lyrics is is classic fish in the fact that he's using the phrase the company at you know three or four different levels of meaning all at the same time it it's absolutely spectacular so on one level it is in fact the company a you know a gathering of of you know individuals in sort of a, a public setting that is you know, attested to by the the bar chorus uh, or the bar sing-along chorus that you have. You know, it definitely has that sort of, you know, raise mm -hmm. your mug and, and do that sort of feel. Obviously, you've got the the, the corporate meaning of the company. Um, it, it, it also, I, I think there are points in here where he's talking about company in the sense of you know, a private company, people he wants to have in his circle. And, and so, you know, Fish lyrics are usually at their best when you've got these multiple layers going on at once. And who doesn't love a good, you know, bar sing-along chorus? Um, so a couple of a couple of of lyrics that do stand out because Tom, I know you love it when I read fish lyrics. These don't flow quite as well, but they're still very very cool. Where beggars take checks and children steal credit cards from the pockets of wrecks that lie on the road. I came to in my future, and that was just yesterday. Unsure of my past, that's a knot in my gut. Um, you buy me a drink, then you think you've got the right to crawl in my head and rifle my soul. I love that line. Mm. You tell me I'm free, then you want me to compromise, to sell out my dreams. You say you'll make it worthwhile. Ooh, what does that mean? Now this is the one that that absolutely kills me, and and this there there's a juvenile part of me that responds to stuff like this, and I, I have to admit. So we're recording this just after the Super Bowl, and in the lead up to the Super Bowl, Paramount has been running these commercials 
leading up to presumably their their launch of the Paramount Plus streaming service because everyone has to have a streaming service. But it's got voiceovers by Patrick Stewart, which is phenomenal, and it has all mm. these different characters, including, and I have no idea why, Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> and so during the Super Bowl, when they have, you know, every, all these characters get to the top of the mountain, and at some point someone says, I, I think it's, I don't even remember, but I think it's, Someone says, you know, crack the champagne or something like that. And and <laughs> Butthead goes, <laughs> he said crack. <laughs> I, just, I still laughed. I'm like, oh, it's it goes against every sort of, you know, superior intellectual, you know, neuron in my body. But I just still laugh. So that being said... You tell me I'm drunk, then you stand back and smug a while, convinced that you're right, that you're still in command of your senses. I laugh at your superior attitude. Your insincere platitudes make me throw up. Yes, Fish is telling you he's going to throw up on you. I love it. This is one of the highlights of the album. Uh, this and, and the next song that uh, we'll get into in a bit. But I, I think that this is an example of... Prague in a, in a commercial sense, where you have uh, a very accessible song with uh, a sing-along chorus, but you have a lot of depth to it. And Fish gives us this a lot. He's, he isn't always successful with it, but uh, I, I think definitely in this song, he is very successful. And every time, this has been a song that has been consistently, to me, a high spot on, on the album. And it, it's a song like this that, that keeps this album in a not steady rotation, but in a rotation as opposed to, you know, an album that gets stuck in a, uh, a drawer. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and so this is just a wonderful song. There's, a, there's something that will happen uh, throughout our discussion of, of Fish. And it is, it's, it's when he taps into his you know, sort of that heritage mm -hmm. from a musical perspective. I just have a tough time with it. I, I, it, it, it almost doesn't matter what, what it is, who it is, but, you know, if you're from the Northern Isle, Islands and, and you put a song like this, it just distracts me. I, I'm just being honest. And when, and when the chorus is the way it is and you actually have the words buy me a drink in there or drink with me or it just makes it even worse for me so uh i'm, I'm not going to disagree with anything that you guys said but for me personally got issues with with this kind of stuff interesting yeah. and, and and you know the other thing is this is where i think the 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 meaning of the the hill comes into play right Oh, boys, will you drink with me now here on the hill, halfway up, halfway down? Um, I, I just, for, for me, I think that that lyric, again, resonates on, on a couple of different levels, um, depending on how I want to think about it. So, you know, I, yeah. I, I will accept if this doesn't work for you. I mean, you know, we, we've all had those moments where, you know, one or more of us just see things differently. But yeah, yeah, like I said, it's yeah. I, I mean, like I, I agree with you. I think I think the lyrics are cool. Um, it's just it's just hard. I, I mean, it just there are certain things that just 
don't do it for me. So, Paul, I'll, I'll be really interested to hear what your thoughts are on Internal Exile, the song, next week, because that's sort of in the same vein. Yes, uh, it is. So, but I, not to get into that now, but okay. I look forward to discussing it next week. Yes, we'll see if I'm consistent. I don't want to steal anyone's thunder, but I freaking love this song. A gentleman's excuse me. Mm. Yeah. I have been in love with this song since I was a hopeless romantic young man. I still love it today. And quite frankly, I feel I need to read the entire lyric because it is just <laughs> phenomenal. Yes. Go for it. Do you still keep paper flowers in the bottom drawer with your Belgian lace, taking them out every year to watch the colors fade away? Do you still believe in fairy tales, in battlements of shining castles, safe from the dragons that lie beneath the hill? Are you still a Russian princess, rescued by a gypsy dancer? To anyone who listen, is that a story you still tell? You live a life of fantasy, your diary romantic fiction. Can't you see it's hard for me? Can't you see what I'm trying to say? It's a gentleman's excuse me, so I'll take one step to the side. Can you get it inside your head? I'm tired of dancing. For every one step forward, I'm taking two steps back. Can't you get it inside your head? I'm tired of dancing. I know you still like old-fashioned waltzes, your reflection in the mirror that you flirt with as you glide across the floor. But if I told you the music's over, would you want to hear that your dance card is empty, that there's no one really there? Do you still believe in Santa Claus? There's a millionaire looking for your front door with a key to a life that you'd never understand? All I have to offer is the love I have. It's freely given. You'll see its value when you see what I tried to say. It's a gentleman's excuse me, so I'll do one step to the side. Can you get it inside your head? I'm tired of dancing. For every one step forward, I'm taking two steps back. Can you get it inside your head? That from this one step forward, there's no turning back. Can you get it inside your head? I'm tired of dancing. Oh, I've been listening to this song for, you know, the, these 30 years. I've been singing this song, whatever the case may be. And there are still certain aspects of every time they come up, I am once again in awe of the way that he presents this. Um... You know, it's it's the whole back and forth of uh, of you know this this woman and, and I'm, shit. I've done this multiple times, right? You you do anything you want to, you, anything you can possibly think of for this woman, and she's like living in this fantasy land relative to your perception of reality. And it's just it gets to the point where you just have to say, I can't do this anymore. I have to stop doing this. Your diary, romantic fiction. You know, you live a life of fantasy, your diary, romantic fiction. Can't you see it's hard for me? Oh, I just, I love that. But what really, really gets me, and really the, the second part, I know you still like old-fashioned waltzes, your reflection in the mirror that you flirt with as you glide across the floor. But if I told you the music's over, would you want to hear that your dance card is empty, that there's no one really there? That That's such a, a mm. painful truth that he's putting out there, right? It's like, do you really want to know what's going on here? And then, but the, the coup de grace, the absolute, and this may very well be the best fish lyric 
ever, ever. All I have to like. Do you still believe um, in Santa Claus? There's a millionaire looking for your front door with a key to a life you'd never understand. And all I have to offer is the love I have. It's freely given. Oh, my God. Mm. So uh, the way he sets that up, a millionaire with a key to a life you'd never understand. We all have, you know, had this situation. And he doesn't have that. He does. He's not a millionaire. The only thing he has to offer this woman is this love. that And the way that's freely given, millionaire freely given. He doesn't come out mm. and say he doesn't have any money, but he communicates that in such a fucking fantastic way. Oh, it just it it just stuns me every time I hear that that lyric. I'm done now. Wow, Joe, that was wonderful. Um, I I loved hearing you um, talk about that song. Uh, I, I cannot agree with you more. I uh, this song gets me every time. And we're going to go through, as we go through the fish catalog, there are some moments. I think some of fish's best moments are in some of these really slow songs, these ballads. And he just really has a knack for melody and just like everything you said, Joe, just putting the the words and the phrases in just the right spot to get an emotional response. I could be done with this, this album after the song, actually. Yeah, I mean, me too. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm pretty happy with everything up until, you know, <laughs> after this, but um, this song is definitely one of the better fish songs that he's, he's written. And it's just, it just, it just gets me. It's, it's wonderful. So, so Paul, do you have a different opinion? <laughs> yeah, no. Is it schlocky in, and disgusting? In fact, no. In, in fact, uh, I, so I'm very happy to report that after all of that, Joe, I, I wholeheartedly agree with, with what you said. And now you, even this is the one place where, for me where the production, while thank you know, there, it isn't, it isn't as dated to me because it's just so simple with the strings and the piano and, yeah. and, and, and all of the normal devices that, that make it late eighties, early nineties are missing. But there's also this, this like that piano line at the beginning, it's, it's innocent in the way like a Disney song starts. Mm. Right. Which I think is like, like crushing. Uh, what, you know, when you, when you get through the song and like you, you, it envelops you and you, you get it. And then you go back and, and know what you're going to get, get, and it starts and it's it's there's just such a wonderful charm to that for me so for totally totally the highlight of this record um i'm gonna let the boys in but uh do you guys want to start on, on the voyeur while uh while i do that <laughs> oh because boy i i honestly do not know what to make of this song i i just i i can't get my brain around any part of it it's i don't know I would be happy if this album ended here. Yeah. <laughs> because even Big Wedge, I mean, I maybe like a little bit more than you, Paul. But <laughs> I mean, I can I can get through it, and everything is is working up until the Voyeur. I will say that I do love the '70s funk feel of the keyboard. There's definitely 
again, it's what I was saying earlier. There's pieces that the, the, the musicians um, bring to some of these songs that sort of salvage it. Now, really, there's no salvaging this song, but <laughs> I, I will say that I do love that 70s funk feel of the keyboard. And I do notice it and go, oh, that's cool. I like it. Yeah. But I just, I really wish, I mean, I think it's a kind of thing, and this is going to be a common thread, I think, on, on some of his other stuff too. I have a feeling that Fish just wrote like what, eight or nine songs with, with these guys, and then that was it. And I think that maybe, you know, he could have written a handful more and then pick the best from that mm. because he has the goods. He has, he has it. I just, sometimes he just lets stuff out that he shouldn't. And there's just no way that you can justify putting a song like this. I mean, after a gentleman, uh, gentleman, yeah. excuse me, come on. I mean, this, I mean, really? I mean, uh, so is this the flip of the record? Was, was this the, I, don't I mean, think I guess so because I think this is there's only two more songs on this, isn't there? Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, this goes back to you know so, what you. I'm sorry, the the voyeur yeah. wasn't even on the record. Oh, that's that's it then. Okay, that's right. This was not on the original release. Well, it wasn't on the LP or the LP, but it was it was clearly on the CD that I have. Right. Mm. Well, I'll just say that. Good choice. Yeah, and you know, you we we mentioned it at the top. You know the pedigree of musicians on this was a uh, great a. And um, I think that comes through on this song to your point, Tom, probably more than anything else. It's just a, it's a fun track from a, you know, with the groove and the, everything that's going on. But I mean, to, to give you an idea of this song, I was listening to this song when I was, when I picked my daughter up from school today and we were driving home and this song came on when I play fish, you know, I'm looking and I, I, I'm sort of looking at my, my daughter's reaction, my, my younger daughter. And she was really getting into gentlemen's excuse me. And she, uh, she had a couple of comments about it, but when this came on halfway through, she's like, dad, this is boring. Please change it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay. And then of course I changed it. I, I put in freaks. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so, uh, Oddly enough, tucks on. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> but um, you know, it, it's again. I I can give him a little bit of a a break on this because yeah, this is his first solo album. But it, it's just it's disappointing because of the some of the great things that we have heard so far on this, and just to go here is a little bit of a disappointment. But Joe, what are your thoughts? I, I literally the only note I have is I don't know what to do with this. I, I I don't know what to do with this song. I can't figure it out. Is it? I, I don't even know. I don't know anything about it. The the the, the lyrics confuse me. <laughs> the, the music confuses me. I just I I I, I don't get it. I don't. I, this is. This is a B side. I mean, this is just really a B side. It, it's just it's a, it's an odd, odd song. Uh, so I'd, I'd I'd just as soon go on to family business. Let's do it. So so family business is interesting, right? Because this is probably the most 
complete version of something uh, of a of fish song that we we have what it would have been as a Marillion song. Mm. And I think both Family Business and Berlin are better off for not being with each other. Honestly. Um, yep. And I know I keep talking about this, but I'm I'm just I'm fixated on on good bass players and the the bass mm. on this song is it's know, epic. It really is. Yeah. I mean, you can't get away from it. And and you know, here again, much as we've seen and we, you know, in, in other Marillion demos, we know that Fish refines his lyrics until he gets that that keen edge. So, as I recall, and I, I didn't have a chance to go back and listen to the the demo from Clutching um, of this, but I, I seem to recall that the the lyrics here obviously are are in a finished form, whereas in that demo they were not, and and it very clearly benefits from it. Um, you know, I think this is it's it's a it's a pretty powerful song. Um, the the narrative sometimes gets a little fuzzy for me, um, but I, I get the overall arc of of what he's getting across. And, you know, I think he, he does it very effectively. I think musically, I'm drawn to, like, a state of mind, a gentleman's, excuse me, and this for, like, a full band. Like, I'm drawn to this sound of this track more than most of what's on, on this record. I will ask this question. Does he say the words family business too many times in, in yes. the song? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's probably true. This it's is like, this tonight, for- tonight, tonight. It could be like a drinking game. It's not like a mantra. It's not in a mantra way either. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's more, it's like small town. John John Cougar Mellencamp. Like I'm going to take a shot every time he says family business and I'm going to be passed out before I get to the next track. I mean, it is it is sort of the binder that holds the whole thing together, so I get it. Yeah. Um Yeah. True. True. I dig I dig I dig the sound of this this tune though. Uh for sure, much more than I do, like say the choruses of Vigil and the Big Wedge and everything. But this is like a deep track on this album, so you know, I guess that makes sense. And I think there's there, there are good dynamics in this song, right? Mm. Yeah, he's able to cover sort of the emotional spectrum that I think his story covers, and and not only lyrically, but and musically, but also vocally. You know, he's he's able to sort of, you know or they, whomever, are able to blend all of that together. Mm. I like it. This song, to me, is I appreciate the lyrics. I like tackling a subject matter the way he does. I like the music, but just together, I'm just not in it. It just doesn't get me. So, I mean, I, I can appreciate the elements. And one of my notes is, you know, the bass is off the hook. Mm-hmm. You know, because you could give Tony Levin a, a, run, a, a run for his money. Yeah, I almost feel like I need to go, you know, back to that guy's wiki page and start listening to the things that he played on just so mm. I can yeah. you know, have the wonderful experience. I, I guess this is going to be very interesting going through the fish catalog. We're not really li- we're not really aligned altogether like like often we are. Yeah. With with uh, songs, this is going to be fun. Well, but but keep in mind, I, I don't know that that's surprising, Paul. Um, Maybe because yeah. the genesis for the the palaver, you know, back in the day, the email streams or whatever, was not about the fish catalog. It was about the Merlion mm-hmm. catalog. It's true. It's um, true. You know, the 
what what are the areas that we have consistently as a group been fairly well aligned? Marillion, mm-hmm. King's X, mm. Queensryche, and for the most part, Toad the Wet Sprocket. <laughs> yeah. I mean that that's th- those those and, are the and, and and I guess Dada too, right? Yeah, for sure, Dada. Yeah, yeah, but those I, those were the bands that we could all sort of always agree. Oh, this is great. But but a fish, of, we've all we we've all. Uh, my impression is we as a group have all experienced fish independently, and I think we've all sort of focused in on different parts of fish. So, yeah. Well, I mean, certainly I was just thinking about that same thing because, you know, for me, it's like the first couple of albums and the last couple of albums, there's a a wide valley in the middle of albums that, frankly, uh, I'll be really paying close attention to for the first time as we go through here, which is maybe a little embarrassing as a (laughs) participant of a prog rock podcast. But it's true. There's a lot of stuff out there. That gets us into View from a Hill. Here we are back with the the hill motif, right? Mm. Tying this into the company, halfway up, halfway down. They sold you the view from a hill. They told you that the view from the hill would be further than you have ever seen before. There's definitely a a sort of biting back here, right? That being said, I, I think, you know, once again, Tom, this message is delivered in a way that for me works very much so. And and you do get some some very wonderful fishness here lyrically you were a dancer and a chancer a poet and a fool to the royalty of mayhem you were breaking all the rules i mean okay cool (laughs) i mean that that could have been something you know fugazi era right there that's that's a that's a great little line and and then you know he he goes on your decadence outstanding your hopes flying high one eye looking over your shoulder one eye on the hill you used to say you were scared of heights. You said you got dizzy, and and the way he dials that da- he, he dials everything back during that that string of of lines is I I just I think it's cool. I, I definitely dig it. He also talks about the hill on sunsets on on Empire, and right. I think there's a maybe even a couple ones even even later than that. So it's interesting to hear this sort of ongoing motif, or even the beginnings of it. I sort of feel the same way about this song as I do family business. I'm I'm there enough where it has me, but because I know where he's going to go and where he has been, he set the bar so high. I, I just don't have a lot to say about, you know, these later songs on this album because he, he just doesn't go anywhere near where he, will go or he has gone so again i will appreciate the music and appreciate the subject matter and and the lyrics but um you know once he gets you with a song like gentlemen's excuse me or for me the company or something like that it's i i know i probably i'm I'm maybe a little harder on fish at times than I, i should be but once he gets you, it's it's hard to keep going with some of these other songs, and which I think is a B side. I mean, I think you know, these last couple of songs are are B sides. But again, you know, we can't forget that this is his first solo album. So 
I, I just, I'm just not excited about this song really. Yeah. I like what you said, Tom. I, I think I agree with you in, in, there are times I listen to this and I, I just kind of get lost in the bigness of the music, <laughs> even though, even though it really is so much like that big sort of consonant, like nineties, late eighties, nineties sound like there's a bit like to me, there's a bit of like, hold your fire cheese that kind of stretches in here. And it's almost like it's, it's, it's just approaching like the greatness that he came from. And then when you, when you realize some of the stuff that he accomplishes later, it's quite, it's ironically, <laughs> it's, you know, he's kind of in the Valley there, right? Like he's mm. singing about the view from the Hill, but he's actually like below both peaks that he's achieved and will achieve. So, right. Um, right. yeah. So, but I'm with you. Like I, I can appreciate everything that's going on here to such a great extent. Um, it just somehow sort of, you know, falls, falls short. A am I taking from your most recent comments that neither one of you is much into cliche at this point? <laughs> you would be correct. <laughs> you would, you would be correct. Obviously. Cliche is no gentleman's excuse me. And you run a distinct risk of naming a song cliche and throwing out a bunch of cliches in the song cliche while trying to say mm. that you're trying to not use cliches. Yeah. That being said, you know, I still kind of like it. I think... I think Fish comes as close to pulling off what I just described as anyone possibly could. And I do like the, the self-own at the front. I've got a reputation of being a man with a gift of words, a romantic poetic type, or so they say. I, you know, I just, I, I like that because all in this entire, you know, part where we went back and, and revisited Fish era Marillion and, and now, you know, I'm, I'm fixated on his words because he's generally so good at them. And it's just, I, I, I kind of like that nod and that wink sort of up front. And, um, you know, like I said, it's, I, I'd much rather listen to this than big wedge. I'll say that. So hmm. you may have a point there. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, it is sweet. There's no doubt about it. I like the sentiment. I can get behind it. Um, like I said, I, I think he just... This almost feels to me like a, a writing exercise. Like I said, he's he's been given a problem. And how is he going to solve that problem? You know, and, and you know, it, it it's nice. It's sweet, but it it's not the most moving. And, and again, on a... On an album, if if we didn't have a gentleman's excuse me on this album, this might work a whole lot better. Mm. But a gentleman's excuse me just really sets the bar for that type of song, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, simply the best way. It's an old cliche. Yeah. Um, like by the time you're at the end of the song, you're like, okay, dude, I get it. <laughs> I totally get it. Um, you know, so. I like what you said about the exercise, Joe, and perhaps 
if I if I'm being honest with myself about my view of this album, I came into it from a maybe a different direction than I should have. But what my view of this album is tainted by and suffers from, perhaps the same thing that Yes's Union suffered from, which was oh. great expectations. Mm. And and this is very much like you said, it's a it's sort of an exercise. It is a first. And it's produced so bombastically that, you know, it's kind of produced like this should be the greatest album that Fish has ever done. And it's, it's not. And, and, and it's interesting, Paul, in that. And, and I think you you described this, you know, at the top of the episode, right? You skipped over this. Mm. You, you kind of you, you your your first real interaction with Solo Fish was Internal Exile. And, and going back from that. It's kind of difficult. It's kind of like when you start with Peter Gabriel 3 and you have to go back and listen to Peter Gabriel 1. <laughs> it's, you know, it's kind of like, well, why would yeah. I want to do that when this album's so fucking great, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, and maybe part of the, and this could be the same thing, you know, we've talked before about you're a Fugazi guy, I'm a script guy. And, mm. and it's because of the order in which we bought those albums and got into them. Yeah. And, and, you know, I had, for whatever reason, I had this album before I had Internal Exile, so I was able to sort of take it on its own merits and internalize it that way. I don't mm. know. Tom, yeah. which did, did you get this one first and then Internal Exile, or did you do it backwards? You know, I, I did it backwards. Actually, okay. I, I always, for a while... I thought Internal Exile was was Fish's first album. Really? And, um, okay. Yeah. And so. Well, because it, um, it sounds so. Like I said, if you, if you plotted out, you know, script Fugazi, misplaced childhood, um, clutching at straws, Internal Exile wouldn't be far off the line. I don't mm. think. I mean, again, it, it sounds like it. I, right. Musically, it's. It, I, I don't think it is, but it, it just perception i think it, it would it would trend much more closely to the line than than this does i i agree I, so i listened to internal exile last night uh in the car just in the offhand that we cover both albums <laughs> <laughs> have you met the members of the palaver paul <laughs> <laughs> That was that was kind of my first reaction, you know, after spending time with Vigil and going to to Internal Exile, I was like, God, this this sounds this sounds like it should be the first. This is what you would kind of expect after after clutching. So yeah, I don't know. I just, I agree with that. Yeah. So we talked on the pre-show about the many evils of streaming services, or whether or not they are. I don't know if if either of you listened to this on Spotify, but on Spotify they do have the bonus tracks from the remastered version. Mm -hmm. and, and I know we don't generally talk about bonus tracks, and there's a reason for that, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here. I do want to make the point. I want to make two points specifically. One, obviously Internal Exile lyrically existed in some form for Clutching at Straws. It's part of those those demos. Um, and it, it obviously did not show up on this album. It will show up on the next album. The the version, the 1989 version that's here, I'm glad they decided to wait a couple of years and 
quote-unquote finish that song, because I mm-hmm. think the internal exile, and we'll talk about that next episode, Paul, your feelings on that, but irrespective of how you feel about it, I think it's it's in a much better form on the next album than it is here. And so Jack and Jill is the B-side of Big Wedge, and wow. Mm. So if, if Big Wedge <laughs> itself... Should have been a B-side. Imagine being the B-side to something that should have been a B-side. Woo! <laughs> and 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 the song comes across as like, like they were like, "Hey, you know the chorus in Vigil? Let's try to make a whole song out of that and see what happens." <laughs> so that's oh. that's that's all I want to say. Like I said, I I had never heard Jack and Jill before. You know, I started you know, preparing for this. And I was like, okay, I, I haven't missed anything. I feel good. But that, that song, that song is like, they took, they took the chorus of vigil and they tried to make it incommunicado and they like smashed it together. (laughs) (laughs) And, and and they, they pushed the hill motif just a little too far. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, like I said, so, uh, or, or like I said at the top of the episode, however long ago that was, you know, this album, I I accept it for all of its little foibles and faults and, and everything else. Is it is it perfect? Absolutely not. Is it is it enjoyable for me? Absolutely, one hundred percent. Some songs more than others, um, but I mean, like I said, I don't even skip. You know, the songs that you know I kind of bagged on here tonight i don't i don't ever skip big wedge i sing big wedge it annoys me while i sing it but i sing it (laughs) um you know so it it, but and 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 i I think the word i i i arrived at earlier just it holds true It, it i find this album to be charming i find it to be a really good jumping off point i think for me it establishes fish as a, as a solo artist and i i you know i i think he was finding himself in that regards and i think he really used this as a as, as like i said as a, as a good jumping off point as as evidenced by the next album yeah i i'll buy that for a dollar as kenny g would say Oh, we've been going along, going long enough. There's Cylon number two. Okay, because okay, you know, what I said was <laughs> <laughs> wasn't that important anyway. Okay, so so we'll close this out next week, or I should say next episode. We will cover Fish's second solo album, Internal Exile. Very very curious to get into that, and then at that point, like I said, I think we start ping ponging back and forth between Fish and Peter Gabriel for a while, and and we'll see what comes out of that. So that should be very interesting, um, gentlemen. Thanks for your time tonight. I know we had some some technical difficulties, some starting, some stopping, but um, as always, we we powered through and look forward to talking with you guys next week. So thanks, guys. All right.
hope you've enjoyed this uh, episode of Progressive Palaver. As always, we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you, and we look forward to your thoughts, comments, feedback, and questions. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We are at ProgPala on all of those, or search for Progressive Palaver. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, yes, finally Pandora, or presumably wherever you find your podcast. And we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening.